Hello, hello, and welcome to Art Pop Talk. I'm Bianca. And I'm Gianna. Gianna, I've got a question for you. How do you pronounce the artist's name who made the Statue of David, the Pieta, and painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel? Well, I say Michelangelo Bonarotti. This week's Art Pop Talk <laughs> is all about the history of Michelangelo's David. Well, Art Pop Talk about his scandals, placement, and tell you what is happening to him now at the Academia Gallery in Florence. We're also looking at some artists that set records in 2020 auctions, ranged from classic masters to artists on the rise. We'll look at these record-breaking artists from Helen Frankenthaler to Ruth Asawa in our new segment. Woo, welcome back everybody. Gianna, it feels so good to be back. How was your break? And Happy New Year. Happy New Year, my love. I missed you over the break. Um, oh, I miss I you too. I feel dumb saying that, like, over the break. Like, I don't have a fucking winter break anymore. Like, <laughs> that sucks. Like, You're a grown-ass woman now. No winter break for you. Honestly, it sucks. I still cannot <laughs> believe that this was our first Christmas apart, but taking a little break just from the pod did help me just mentally focus on my new job which was very much appreciated so thank you to all the pop tarts for letting us take a little pause but mostly i cannot believe that i was not home for the holidays because i missed quite a momentous moment tell me about your christmas and do we want to tell the art pop tarts what happened Yes, I'm so excited. And actually, we have a very special guest returning to the podcast within the next few months. But if you all remember our cousin, Juliana Poro, who we talk about a lot on the show, and we just love her so much. But on Christmas Eve this year, she got engaged to her boyfriend, now fiance, Matt. (laughs) And Honestly, it was the occasion of the year, and it was just so much fun, and I'm so glad I was there to be a part of it, and I know I wished and she wished that everyone was there, that you guys were there too, but it just, it was, it was so perfect and so lovely, and I'm just so happy for them, so congratulations, Jewel and Matt. That was, that was the highlight of my break so (laughs) Uh, I'm so freaking excited yes congrats to Jewel and Matt you know I love a good APT wedding so something to look forward to and I'm sending all my love to the both of them did you guys already go down a hole of like looking at wedding planning in a COVID free future over the break like what was that situation yeah so I think I've probably talked about it before on the podcast but Um, I used to work for a wedding planner and I'm a certified wedding planner, blah, blah. But I did tell Juliana, I'm so excited to look at venues and to go wedding dress shopping. And I think we're going to, you know, there's some things that we can definitely do during COVID from home and kind of start organizing. But there's some other things that obviously we'll wait on and stuff like that. So I'm just, I'm very, I am very excited to get the planning process Mm-hmm. underway mm-hmm. yeah and it looks like our girl Ari got engaged over this winter season as well and I know there's been a lot of talk about her ring and 
Gianna, you and I had some kind of differing opinions on the look, I know. Yes, I feel as though I liked it a bit more than you, just because if she was a ring, that is what she would look like, and I love that for her. (laughs) I feel very strongly about that. Yeah. No, Um, I'm I'm so happy that it fits her, you know? mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and I don't know, I like it for for her. And I think as far as like I don't know, does that make sense? Because as far as like celebrity like you know, interesting engagement rings look, about to Mm -hmm. say something controversial, but I liked it a lot better than Lady Gaga's um, heart engagement ring. The ring ring from Taylor Kinney. Yeah. I know. I I love that ring. I know. Love that for her. I don't think she loved that for her, though. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not. Um, Maybe not. But I'm happy for, for Ari. Yeah, yeah. Love to see it. But as you all know from our last episode of 2020, Bianca, Audrey, and I wanted to take the holiday to build up our platform a bit more now that we have grown so much over the course of these nine, ten months. So we have three exciting announcements for you all today. The first being that you can now subscribe to an APT newsletter. All you have to do is go on our website and enter your email address in the pop-up sidebar so that each month you are informed about what content you'll be served for that month. We'll also include some arts and pop news for you as well. So yay, subscribe to that newsletter. The second update is that we have created a Buy Me a Coffee account. Buy Me a Coffee is a platform where you can easily donate a small amount of your choice to Art Pop Talk, the podcast. Your support means a great deal to us, and any contribution to the podcast is beyond helpful and so appreciative. So, Bianca, can you tell us a bit more about how Buy Me a Coffee works? Yes. So, all you guys have to do is visit buymeacoffee.com slash artpoptalk. The link for this can also be found in our bio, across our different social media platforms, or you can search for Art Pop Talk on buymeacoffee.com. And you can donate as little as $3 to the APT team. What's cool about Buy Me A Coffee is that it isn't a reoccurring membership. This is just kind of a one-time donation thing. If you like what we're doing and you want to support the show, that's all you got to do. All the money given goes towards helping the podcast grow. And what's also cool is that you don't have to create an account for this. You can just go to the website and donate. It's super easy. And there's different payment options. You can kind of pick the one that's easiest for you. Now, I think we are saving the best for last. We are so happy to have launched our first Art Pop Talk Facebook group where Gianna and I can better connect and engage with the listeners. But more importantly, this is a platform for you to connect with other art Pop-Tarts. What we hope to see from this group is a way for you to start conversations about, you know, things you hear on our weekly episodes, share art happenings in your area, and talk about arts and pop news that you're finding on your own as well. The rules for the group are pretty straightforward. As you'll see, we just want this to be a welcoming and inclusive space. And I think even though when it comes to arts and pop culture content, we have a lot of 
differing opinions, but I'm really excited to finally kind of pick the Art Pop-Tarts brains a little bit more. And while we want to hear about your exhibitions, art events, hopefully more events coming in 2021, or even like galleries that are showing your work, conferences, artist talks, we do just ask that you don't use this Facebook group to sell your own work. So when you're looking for the group, you can just search Art Pop Tarts on Facebook and request to join. Yay! Gianna and I are just, we're so excited about these really big three things that we've put together for you guys, but what we really need to do is give a big shout out to PA Audrey, who worked so hard on putting all of these together for you all. And I would just like to say that I have a great question about the watermelon sugar high episode for the Facebook group. So as soon as we get some some members in the group and they put that question in there, because I just have like a lot of questions about the numbers we're seeing on it. Like, are the Art Pop Top sharing the episode somehow? It's just every day there's like 50 new listens, which is amazing. I'm just curious, like what's going on? <laughs> I know exactly what's going on. That's just like the pure magic and joy of Harry Styles. Like that that's just what I chalk that up to. <laughs> well, shall we get into some art news? <laughs> we shall. We shall indeed. I've missed art news. Oh, I've missed art news so much. <laughs> <laughs> now, we haven't really discussed too much about artworks in terms of how much does that cost because especially for the folks who listen to the pod who are new to artful discussions I feel as though that question can sometimes lead to a very surface level kind of thinking and not lead to the deeper Mm -hmm. conversations about the work if you're not careful but auctions are part of how art and objects get circulated and we know for this year, some of the ethical standards for selling art and objects were changed in order to help museums keep the lights on during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So it is something important to pay attention to. And due to COVID, top auction houses such as Sotheby's or Christie's adapted their marquee sales to a virtual platform with live streamed mega auctions. Art News Magazine laid out some record-breaking auctions for us that we're going to look at, starting with Ab-X Queen Helen Frankenthaler, known for her soak stain method of painting canvas. Her large-scale 1975 canvas, Royal Fireworks, sold for a price of $7.9 million. Congrats, Helen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm happy for you. Know that I am. (laughs) Happy... (laughs) Having come from the collection of dealer Ginny Williams, it set a record for Frankenthaler, whose life and art are being reconsidered alongside those of her female peers. Later this year, Sotheby's went on to set Frankenthaler's second highest price at $4.7 million, with a sale of her monumental canvas, Carousel, which was deaccessioned from the Palm Springs Art Museum in October. Wow. Our very own Wayne Tabode set a record. Cutie. Yes, love Wayne Tabode for his four pinball machine painting, which I hadn't seen before, and it's honestly so cute. Mm. Done in 1962, estimated at 18 million to 25 million. 
more than double the artist's previous record of 8.5 million. The work sold for a new high record of 19.1 million. So, very cute pinball machine painting. (laughs) Our next artist, Ruth Asawa, sculpture untitled hanging seven lobbed continuous interlocking form with saphirs (laughs) into two lobs. (laughs) If you can just visualize that in your head. Um... (laughs) done in 1953 was put up for auction through christie's but was formerly owned by blanche h rockefeller who served as president of the museum of modern art in new york from 1972 to 1985 although ruth asawa Mm. has been beloved by art historians for decades the market has only recently caught up with her this piece sold for a little over five million dollars who wow so I'm thinking that we need to do a deep dive on auctions and the art market very soon. And I think, Gianna, kind of what you said at the beginning, that's a question that I get asked a lot by people is, mm-hmm. why does this cost so much? And how does something that looks like your kid could make, mm-hmm. quote unquote, is worth millions? Well, you know, truthfully, I don't have a great answer for that, except for the fact that, you know, those at the top with that kind of money are the ones who dictate the market and put a price on learning and experiences, you know, capitalism. Yes, really, but though. The Wayne Tabot went for $19.1 million and Helen Frankenthaler went for about $8 million. And again, it's just it's this price of value is, is meaningless. You mm-hmm. know, how do you compare Wayne Tabot and Helen Frankenthaler? However, I am curious about the gender divide as always, you know, why is this Wayne Tabot going for twenty million? And I I I would personally mm-hmm. just think that Helen Frankenthaler is more renowned and more popular than Wayne Tabot, but I don't know if it's cause she's a lady or if it's that Wayne Tabot is growing in popularity. Part of me does think Wayne Tabot is growing in popularity because even up until I graduated school like school I felt like I noticed his name was coming up a lot more um with other students Mm. but what I was actually most surprised about was uh Ruth Asawa's works because her works Mm -hmm. when you see them they um like you can tell they have a very consistent style to them and they're very minimalistic and very modern and as a sculptural work I would think that Mm -hmm. a collector would actually find that appealing for a private space um in thinking about that so but you're right it's like i don't i don't it's hard it's like i i don't have a great answer you're right it's capitalism and i kind of want us to like think about that in our heads as we move forward talking through our subject for today because i might backpedal a little bit this is going to come up again so lock it away for safekeeping All right, everyone, we are going to take a little break. And when we come back, we are going to talk about Michelangelo's David.
All right, welcome back, everybody. I feel as though, Bianca, it will be necessary for us to use our best David and Alexis voices whilst discussing David today. <laughs> In today's Art Pop Talk... We're going to give you all the fun facts about the statue of David that you might not have known, why it's so iconic in both art and pop worlds, and why we chose him to be a part of our logo. Bianca, you've seen the statue of David in person, and if I recall, you have a great story about this, yes? Wow, yes, I do. So I was in Florence and we went to this amazing, <laughs> amazing market. And I'll never forget because I was eating the most delicious salmon gnocchi and it was just a delightful time. And another person I was with said that she just saw Seth Rogen. And then I saw him at this market and I was like, you know what, Bianca, just shoot your shot, you know, like say hello. So I was just so dumb. And I went straight up to him and I tapped him on the <laughs> shoulder. And Seth, if you're listening, I'm just so sorry I tapped you on the shoulder. Like I oh, was God. friends with you. And I'm so sorry I bothered you and your beautiful wife on vacation. His wife was so stunning. She was sitting drinking a glass of white wine and I will just never forget it. <laughs> And but I took a photo with him and he was so sweet to do that. So I just thank you, Seth Rogen. <laughs> <laughs> and I had a little bit of secondhand embarrassment because some of the other Americans in the same space were also like taking photos of him in like a weird way. And anyway, so we leave the market and we're heading to the Academia and we see him and his wife standing in line to get into the museum. And I thought I was being so cute and funny, and I made a funny joke about standing next to Seth Rogen and the Statue of David at the same time, and then this person overheard me, and she stole my joke, and like, I, I can't even remember exactly what the joke was, but I thought it was like really funny, and then everyone, all the other people in the group were like laughing at her joke. I was like, you stole my joke. Anyway. <laughs> and But I did see the Statue of David, and I met Seth Rogen on the same day. So I will never forget my first time seeing it. And Gianna, that's also the day that I saw that white man put his sunglasses on the busts in the hall. D did we talk about that on the 20th episode? Like, cringe. Yeah, but I think we did. Nevertheless, it was magnificent. And we'll talk about its size and its placement yeah. here in a bit. But that is my personal experience with david my brain is like processing that whole scene um i didn't know that you got to take a photo with him i thought you just saw him while you were waiting in line and took like a stalker photo of him but we'll have to share that on our instagram for sure we'll see what i can do it's kind of an embarrassing photo so if i'm brave enough to share it art pop tarts please don't laugh at me We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I'll, I definitely have some stalker photos I can pull out. <laughs> we need it on our story, like, if anything. I need a visual. But also, I would actually really love to see if Seth Rogen would like to come on the pod because he is really into ceramics and making these, like, trippy-looking pots. And I just think that's so cute. So... 
Yes, I actually saw that on his Twitter the other day, and I retweeted it. It was super cool looking, so go go follow us on Twitter and you can see it. Yeah, do you not follow Seth Rogen on Instagram? No, I don't, actually. You should. I, I like his Instagram a lot, but he, um, I think he's done it for a while, but he's working with this, like, one particular studio, and he's doing a lot of stuff right now, so he's, like, sharing a lot of photos. Yeah, they're really cute. I love it. I love it. Yeah, he's definitely into, like, throwing right now, so I am here for it. That's cool. So, what? Uh, Let's talk about the statue's history. You want to walk us through it, Bianca? I would love to. This may be a lot of my voice. We're going to do a little art history lecture, taking it back to intro 102 over here. So, as we'll discuss, this is such an iconic piece of (laughs) sculpture. And if you're one of our listeners who isn't from that kind of traditional art and art history background... You've still probably have seen David like outside of our logo, right? So when you take an intro to Western art class, there's actually four statues of David that you'll normally talk about. David is a religious figure from the Hebrew Bible in the book of Samuel. David is a young shepherd who gains fame first as a musician and then later by killing the enemy champion Goliath. Goliath is said to be a Philistine giant who is defeated by David in combat with a sling, a rock, and then David beheads him with a sword. So this is kind of how the phrase like David and Goliath has taken on a popular meeting about an underdog situation. David becomes a king and there's a lot more to his story as a religious figure some of which of course gets produced and replicated in art however the most famous depictions of david come from the story of david and goliath when we talk about the italian renaissance a large amount of those artists that we're talking about stem from florence this is really important Florence was an independent city-state from roughly 1115 to 1512. And for a portion of that, it was largely controlled by the Medici family during what we now refer to as the Italian Renaissance. The Republic of Florence was aware of the threats that surrounded them, and therefore they viewed David as a perfect symbol of Florence as he captured that kind of unwavering courage, this unexpected underdog strength, and this historic perseverance that they saw in themselves. So going back to those multiple renditions of David, Donatello created a bronze statue in what we think is probably about 1440, And it is the first freestanding nude male sculpture since antiquity. I just have a side note. I had this amazing, we've talked about her on the show before, Dr. Irene Backus. She taught my Renaissance class. And she always argued that Donatello should not have been one of the Ninja Turtles. It should have actually been Mm -hmm. Titian, even though Titian was from Venice. Yeah, because Donatello was like way before Yeah, I thought, Gianna, maybe that would be a good kind of get-to-know-you question, too, instead of, you know, we've done a lot of asking about your flux kit. Like, who do you think the fourth Ninja Turtle should be? Mm, Yeah, that's a good one. So going back to that 
freestanding nude male sculpture. By freestanding, I mean that it's the first figure of David that is unsupported by any additional kind of structure that holds on to the figure to help it stand upright. This David by Donatello appears very young and is largely discussed in a very sexualized manner because he appears nude. And when you rock around the piece, you can see the feather of Goliath's helmet run up the side, the inside of David's leg, which is very spicy. And you know what? Donatello, I'm here for it, okay? I'm here for a little erotica sculpture. Why is it spicy? Why is it spicy? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So going back to the Davids, we now have Verrocchio's David, which is also a bronze from 1475. And it is rumored to be modeled after his young pupil, Gianna. Do you know who Verrocchio's pupil was? Mm, Was it Mr. Leo da Vinci? It was, it was. Good job. So Leonardo da Vinci studied under Verrocchio. This was a piece commissioned by the Medici family. And differing from Donatello's, Verrocchio's David is clothed. So what's notable about these first two bronzes is that David appears quite youthful in both. And he has a very like delicate and very slender form. And what's most important, okay, guys, pay attention. Most importantly with these two bronze is that David is seen with the head of Goliath at his feet in both. So what we're seeing is David after he has slain the giant. Okay, lock it in. Lock it in. As Gianna is going to talk about the statue itself here in a second, but we need to know why Michelangelo was commissioned to make such a piece in the first place, which leads us to the Cathedrale di Santa Maria del Fiore, or the Florence Cathedral. The cathedral's construction was initially begun in 1296 in the Gothic style to a design of Arnolfo di Cambio and was completely finished in 1436 with the Duomo engineered by Filippo Brunelleschi. And of course, the Duomo is a whole other story and there's lots of things to get into with the Duomo itself. But when it was finally constructed, it was the (laughs) idea to place the statue of David on top of the Duomo, which is nearly 400 feet above ground. And remember what I said about David being a symbol of Florence, this defender of the Medici family's rule. And David would have theoretically been placed on top of the Duomo looking directly towards Rome. The history of the statue begins actually even before Michelangelo was commissioned to make it with a guild and republic leaders proposing 12 Old Testament figures be made for the buttresses Buttresses are architectural pieces found on the outside of cathedrals. There were two artisans who had briefly started working with a large piece of marble, but their project was never completed, which leads us to our mans, Michelangelo, Gianna, take it away. In August of 1501, the Operai, 
which were the overseers of the Office of Workers for the Duomo, gave the job to the 26-year-old Michelangelo. It took him just over two years, about three years, to finish the 17-foot-tall statue. Immediately recognized as a masterpiece after this block of marble, the single block of marble that David was created, was actually manipulated by two different artists at first and was left in the Duomo's workshop area for literally like 40-something years, around 40 years, just being exposed to the elements. So after this masterpiece was finally finished and created, the issue now was, one, how do we even get this thing up to the top of the cathedral roof? And two, the original idea was to have 12 of the Old Testament prophet statues up there along with David. So now that that idea of having 12 prophets didn't end up getting completed, we have this hot chiseled David just on its own. (laughs) So is this roof even the best place for him? I think not. So because... (laughs) Because we also need to consider the intent behind the sculpture. And and going back to what Bianca said, because we need to consider the intent behind the sculpture, which was supposed to symbolize the Florentine Republic Mm -hmm. and show who was the boss to those who sought to conquer it, specifically Rome. So what Michelangelo ended up creating was a statue of such beauty and perfection that the operai thought it should be experienced up close. So they called a meeting in January of 1504 of 30 Florentine OG greatest influencers such as Leonardo da Vinci, Sandro Botticelli, Andrea della Rubia, and Perugino to determine where the David should be placed. Botticelli thought it should go somewhere on or around the cathedral, but mostly everyone thought it should go somewhere in the Piazza della Signoria where it eventually ended up being installed right around the entrance of the piazza facing Florence's enemies in Rome, as Bianca said earlier. It took 40 men four days to move David, suspended from ropes inside a wooden cage, pulled along greased beams half a mile from the courtyard where it was carved to its new home in the Piazza della Signoria. So where is David now? The Academia Gallery has housed the original David since 1873. The sculpture was allegedly brought to the Academia for reasons of conservation. The original intention was to create a Michelangelo museum with original sculptures and drawings to celebrate the fourth centenary of the artist's birth. Today, the gallery's small collection of Michelangelo works include his four unfinished prisoners intended for the tomb of Pope Julius II and the statue of St. Matthews, also unfinished. Our aunt and I, we were just talking about those quote-unquote unfinished works by Michelangelo and how stunning they are and really how thought-provoking they are for art historians in particular just because we talk so much about this finished product and what is, you know, worth showcasing and what is worth keeping. And, you know, because they're by Michelangelo, we hold them in a in a very high regard. But it's super interesting to, to look at these quote unquote unfinished works. They bring up a lot of questions. 
But Gianna, I loved that you mentioned those chiseled abs of David mm-hmm. because remember those other those two other guys I talked about who had previously made those very boyish renditions of David? Well, what Michelangelo presented to us was quite frankly a fine ass man. And I will not apologize for saying that because David is hot. You know it and I know it. He's a hottie <laughs> with a body. He's got that curly hair and those big hands. <laughs> Speaking of, when you look at those emphasized features of David, like his <laughs> pupils are very carved out, like his eyes are very intense, and his hands, they were intentionally made larger because he was supposed to be seen from very far above us, right? So Michelangelo was using some perspective when making the piece to be seen from ground level, which is why some features of his maybe look a little larger or unproportional to an actual human form. But when we look at comparing these three Davids, Michelangelo's is even more significant because what we are seeing is David before the beheading of Goliath. We do not find the head of a giant or a sword in the piece, but instead we find David staring out at something the viewers cannot see. In David's right hand, we find the rock, and in his left hand, we see him holding the sling over his shoulder. So back to that same professor I mentioned earlier, she also referred to this as a pregnant moment yes it it allows the viewer to kind of think about the the emphasis of what the artist is doing here so with michelangelo's david it's a moment that he's capturing that for our purposes is frozen but the story tells us there's a type of continuation or this type of anticipation ahead within the work itself as we see david mentally prepare for this battle with goliath which is just so cool it's so cool and i just i love it so much and it's so interesting to think about that the most if we want to put it in these terms kind of um idealized masculine version of david is not at that moment after battle where he has defeated goliath but these quote like more feminine um androgynous bodies that we see with donatello are after that moment with beheading goliath it's really interesting Whoa. Oh, man, Gianna, that is so cool. That's such a good point. Oh, I love art history so much. Oh. <laughs> so quickly, I also just wanted to note, remember I said there are four commonly discussed works of David. Gianna, can you take a guess at who the fourth one is? Bye. <laughs> She's thinking. I see her thinking. She's blinking a lot. <laughs> Don't look it up. I'm not looking it up. We were talking about Titian earlier, for so for some okay. reason that's in my brain. This fourth one is by Bernini from 1624 of the Baroque movement. If it's not Baroque, don't fix it. <laughs> Which is filled with lots of drama, lots of movement. Oh, I just looked up a picture of it. Yeah, this escaped my brain. Sorry, intro art history. I mean, he's a little cutie. He's like, in the moment, he's like swinging his body around. It's like very active. So that's also a great piece to look at. It's in the Borghese Museum in uh, in Rome. So 
As Gianna said, the original sculpture now resides in the Academia, and if you're lucky, you may see Seth Rogen and his wife looking at it there. But there is, in fact, a replica stationed outside the Piazza della Signoria, which was placed there in 1910. And this one, I mean, it's a good copy. It, it looks like the Statue of David, but if you look closely and you do kind of a visual compare and contrast of the two, the replica that's outside is just, it's just a bit off, and I can't exactly tell you what it is. It's just, it's, it's not Michelangelo's. That's all I have to um, say. Speaking of things that are slightly off, I'm looking up pictures of Titian's painting of David and Goliath, and I don't like it. It's scary. <laughs> it's like right, it's like an action moment, like right as he's beheaded Goliath. Wait, okay, I want to look it up too. This, like, but it's like the perspective is like freaking me out. Oh. Oh, do you see? Uh, look at that uh, foot. Do you, Goliath's is that what I, uh, foot? Do you see what I mean? <laughs> a glove? It's like a glove. But is that supposed to be like... Are you looking at his hand? What is... Ha- oh, no. That That's his hand. That's Goliath's hand. It looks like that's supposed to be his foot. I'm like, what is happening? I'll stick with my Michelangelo David, if you don't mind. <laughs> So now moving into pop, what are some references David is used in? Just like some of the most famous works of art history, we see the same trend where the original work is appropriated countless times. David isn't just appropriated within other works of fine art, but he also appears in the commercial and entertainment world. An example I like to pull from in the commercial world is David built out of Legos as this form of you know, modern ingenuity, creativity, has the ability (laughs) to replicate this icon and be used to sell more Legos. (laughs) So I might go on a little bit of a rant here, but going back to our art news conversation about the cost and the value of art, I never really understood this disassociation that people create between art and business and capitalism or Mm -hmm. art and STEM especially. Because if history has taught us anything, as we've talked about on the show, it is that art and ingenuity were cross-disciplinary practices that were essential to human urbanization through church, state, expansion, whatever, what have you. So our art news just got me thinking about when I see something like the Statue of, of David that is so appropriated over the years, an object of the status, I think is a good example that helps blur those lines between art and everything else. Because not only is the original concept of the piece, you know, sticking its hands in all these different pots, but yet we continue to use it to reach other corners in our commercial and consumer world. And not to mention that we still talk about the object in terms of also how much it's worth too, because it's so iconic. Yeah, no, Gianna, I think you're totally right to think about that in terms of science and ingenuity. I mean, moving the damn thing took fucking math and science and look at the artist's interest in proportion, right? Like that takes math and science and a lot of quote unquote, I'm going to say it, STEM, Mm -hmm. even though I hate that word. So 
yeah, I, th- I think it's really important to to consider all yeah. those factors. And, and we'll talk about a little bit more of that scientific process actually here in a second. But I totally agree. And I also, thinking about pop references, I was just watching the Friends episode where they go to Vegas and Monica and Chandler, they need something blue and Monica steals the sweatshirt from Caesar's Palace. And But as I'm watching them in the gift shop, I saw that there's like a bunch of little miniature <laughs> Davids in the Caesar's Palace gift shop on the set of Friends, which I also thought was just very funny because... I mean, it's just, I feel like the Statue Mm -hmm. of David has just become this, like, symbol of Italy. But as I said, even, you know, we've been talking about David and Michelangelo are, like, from Florence and they're working in Florence. And David was the symbol of Florence. And Caesar's Palace is, like, Roman antiquity. So I just thought it was funny how they have all these, like, statues of David that aren't even, like, remotely related to the Roman Empire. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, looking at museum gift shops, I mean, you can hardly step into any gift shop without seeing David on a magnet or like one of those like pop colored reproductions that are like neon blue and pink. And I kind of want a pink one, but that's beside the point. (laughs) Bitch, we have a pink one. Be good for the HQ. Yes, when we get our studio, we can have like a pink David. (laughs) You never know. Oh, yay, David. Yay. Going back to our close personal friends at CBS this morning, they did a story on the Statue of David actually while we were on break over the holiday. Before the pandemic, millions of tourists would visit the Academia and the Statue of David in a single year. But as Gianna said, back to science. During the pandemic, a team of scientists are using the lack of visitors to study and work on the piece. They are using laser scanners that are actually apparently used for high-tech jet engines to study the work, and they are creating digital 3D scans of the statue. So as a professor who calls it this during the interview, she says this quote-unquote digital twin will be used to monitor the piece as it ages because as people breathe on it, as, you know, a ton of people come into this space, it's just, it is going to potentially and naturally deteriorate. So this video of the, of the story can be found on our YouTube channel under the Art News playlist if you're interested. So... Finally, why did we want to use David for our logo? Well, generally, the obsession is real. Like, that's very clear now. (laughs) I think we did want to use an iconic reference in art history. We know that the subject of art feels so intimidating sometimes, so... Mm. I liked how people would be familiar or at least somewhat familiar with something like David. Aesthetically, he fits really well with what Bianca and I were proposing for the cover art because we wanted our portraits in the mix, but we didn't want our images to be manipulated or digitized too much. We wanted something modern and pop-like, but we didn't literally want to be like two Liechtenstein girls with like Ben Day dots, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I think there was a lot of obviously deliberation that went into our choice in logo just because we did 
want to convey the fact that we are an art history podcast while at the same time conveying a piece of art that is visually accessible. Yeah. Although David does represent an ideal person and especially a Western religious symbol in art, and we talked about the issues of, you know, continuing to use these references of ideals when looking at Venus, but this depiction of David differs from other portrayals of this historic biblical Mm -hmm. figure, as we've talked about, as Michelangelo sculpts him before he defeats Goliath. This pregnant moment, David is contemplating as he's not going to be able to use his strength to overpower Goliath, but his intelligence. So with that original kind of conceptual installation of the statue as well, he's symbolizing this idea of civic liberties and virtue. So I don't know. I guess I think that's kind of cool. And I like, you know, a good intellectual mind. (laughs) (laughs) He's both hot and smart. (laughs) (laughs) i he has it all so (laughs) (laughs) totally totally but i think this discussion has also been really cool in just looking back and thinking about you know we pick david for for a certain reason and i think sometimes you and i we kind of have this like unspoken language like i can just i can try to articulate something and you just kind of know what I mean and and I think that when we were picking out the the logo you and I both kind of had a similar thought process but it really wasn't like articulated as it's been throughout the course of today's episode so that's been really cool too right and I just think if I think like our obsession with something like an iconic work of art I think a close second would have been Venus but I think I don't know it's like I think Venus is just as equally as appropriated as David, but I didn't want something that was like also like so on the nose. And I like that David is also three dimensional. Like that just goes back to the like aesthetics of it all. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I love our logo. No, I love it too. And I think, you know, obviously we don't want to discount the fact that he's a like white man, a religious figure, but our hope is that it gives us an opportunity to take Mm -hmm. on some of that approach I guess appropriation and and that, you know, that use of pop and and bring him into a, you know, a different kind of context, like you said, Gianna. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to end today's episode with some fun facts about David that you might not have known about or have been brought to your attention. So I found an article through Mental Floss, and we are going to share some of these fun facts. Starting with David's right hand is out of proportion. It's too big to fit perfectly with the rest of his body. This asymmetry is believed to be Michelangelo's clever nod to David's nickname, Menu Forti, or Strong of Hand. On September 14, 1991, Italian artist Piero Canata snuck a small hammer into the statue's home at the Accademia. He approached the towering statue and promptly smashed off the second toe of his left foot. The museum's visitors leapt into action, converging on David's attacker, preventing him from doing any other further damage and subduing him until the police arrived. Oh my gosh, what a day at the museum. (laughs) That's got nothing on your sunglass story. (laughs) On my story. (laughs) 
Over 8 million visitors a year come to the gallery to take in the sight of David. Unfortunately, studies show that all this foot traffic creates vibrations that amount to little near-constant earthquakes that are tearing out the marble and through recent restoration works of the century-old piece. Five years before David's debut, Michelangelo's Pietà made him famous. But it was his David that defined when it was completed, the 29-year-old. What am I doing? He was 26 when he started that. I'm not doing anything. Oh, <laughs> I like to think we're doing something, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what? You're totally right. You're right. I sincerely hope that Art Pop Talk becomes as famous as the Pieta. But anyhow, until then... He was 29 during the High Renaissance and became a master sculptor. Oh God, yeah. Four years later in 1508, he would begin his work on his greatest painting achievement, which was the Sistine Chapel. Ooh, another episode idea. <laughs> Fans of The Simpsons will recall a plot where the locals of Springfield demand that David put on some pants. <laughs> <laughs> While this request was used as a comical extreme of censorship, it mirrored actual events in the nude statue's past. In 1857, the Grand Duke of Tuscany surprised England's Queen Victoria with a replica of Michelangelo's David. It's said that the Prim Royal was so scandalized by the piece's nudity that a detachable plaster cast fig leaf was created to preserve the modesty of this marble man and protect the gentlewomen who might visit him at the modern day Victoria and Albert Museum in London. Dead. Ooh, I gotta get to the V&A now. Take a London trip. In 2010, the Italian government oh, yeah. began a campaign to solidify its claim to the iconic marble statue. David technically belongs to the nation, the true legal successor of the Florentine Republic. So I thought that last one was interesting in just talking about how David has become this like iconic like Italian symbol and um and, and knowing this kind of legal debate that happened in 2010, I I do think that is quite interesting. Yeah. Ooh, that was fun, Gian. I like those little facts. Yeah, I'm so glad we started with David for the new year. I think this was an excellent choice. Oh, I definitely agree, for sure. Well, Gianna, I think that's about all we have today, right? Yeah. As always, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Twitter. All of our images will go up on our website, on our resources page, and all of our listeners, you've got to join our APT Art Pop Tarts Facebook group. It is now open. We are on Buy Me a Coffee now, and you can sign up for our APT monthly newsletter at artpoptalk.com. All right. Thank you, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We'll talk to you on Tuesday. Art Pop Talk's production assistant is Audrey Kaminsky. Music and sounds by Josh Turner. Photography is by Adrian Turner. And our graphic designer is Sid Hammond.